Welcome to the Oak Grove Podcast. I'm going to pray, and then in just a moment, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And um, before we do that, let me just uh, offer a word of introduction. We're actually going back to a series we were studying last November. Now, just because of the holiday break and you know my travel schedule, we kind of had to move away from this for a long time. So it feels... I don't know, it feels a bit weird coming back to a series that for about two, three months we haven't really been in. And because it's quite a technical series, I think what I'll do is a little bit of recap because we're talking about the the science of interpreting Scripture, the basic presuppositions when we go to the Bible and we read God's Word. God gives us the grace and the strength to understand it. But there's there's some guidelines that we have to follow. We can't just go to the Bible with an empty and open mind and assume that We're going to be able to understand it or comprehend or even apply it. We have to allow allow the Bible to speak to us and to employ some rules of interpretation. So in just a moment, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, while we're getting that ready, let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to gather. We thank you, Lord God, for midweek meetings. We love to gather with your people as often as the church doors open. Father, we love to be in your house like David sung in his hymn, that a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Father, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to be here, to be in your house, to be with your people and to be learning and striving to better understand your word, the gift that you've granted of revelation. Father, I pray You give us alert minds, help us to be ready to think and think critically. Give us hearts that are open to receive your word and give us lives that reflect the fact that we are people of the book. We are children of your inspired word, God. We thank you for your grace in our lives and in our church and even in this community here tonight. I pray you bless us and be with us as Jesus is lifted up in all things. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, a very well-known verse, speaking of Scripture. We read this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, when we, when we began to speak about this topic, one of the, uh, one of the fundamentals that we labored to, uh, we, 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 we strived hard to lay this down as a foundation is that the Lordship of Christ, the Lordship of Christ is the paradigm with which we do everything in the Christian life. We, we surrender everything we do, everything we are, all the ways that we think, all our attitudes and everything about our actions, we surrender them to the Lordship of Christ. And when we come to the Bible, It's no different. We want to approach the scripture the way that Jesus shows us how to do that. And Jesus in his life and his example gives us great amount of of content and information and encouragement as to how we want to approach the scripture. So every Bible student must firmly grasp, must firmly grasp how to rightly divide the word of truth. When I say Bible student, I'm not saying seminary student. I'm not saying aspiring preacher or Bible teacher. I'm just saying disciple of Jesus. Every disciple of Christ has to have some skills and some training in how to understand and rightly divide the word of truth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul wrote this, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, 
we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So this is, this, this is Paul demonstrating his desire, his ardent desire to not be found as one who is practicing cunning or tampering with God's word. And people that do do that are, are everywhere. People that go to the Bible and rather than surrender themselves to the scripture as servants of the word, they stand over it or attempt to stand over it as the master so that they can twist, contort and distort it to serve their desires or to promote their agenda. Again, when we come to the scripture, the baseline presupposition for all that we do is surrender to the Lordship of Christ. So what I did was, again, going back three months or so ago, I proposed four basic principles of interpreting scripture. And I'd said that as I articulate these, they're going to sound a little bit, or I, I suspect they're going to sound a little bit uh, overintuitive. Like, like these, are, these are just basic we should assume these, we should presume these, but as I said before, although they may seem obvious, nonetheless, Christians or so-called Christian churches involved in snake handling, blood transfusion refusing, Jonestown Kool-Aid drinking, dangerous, idiotic and fatal Christians, I say with air quotes, brings us back to this fundamental point that we all have to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Someone rightly said at one point that every heresy, every error, every manipulation and distortion of the word of God has always got some kernel of truth to it. There's always, there's always some way that the scripture seems to be, be given faithfully and yet constantly we find ourselves coming back to this main point that we have to surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and the way that Jesus interacted with his Bible that is the same as our Bible. I didn't phrase it like that to say it's different. But the way that Jesus interacted with the Scripture is the guide for us. That's how we learn. That's how we know. We use Jesus as our great exemplar. The truth is that I've been in pastoral ministry almost, I guess, almost 17 years now, coming on 18 years. And, and here's the reality is that so much frustration and so much disappointment and so much uh, just issues with the conscience and living the life of the Christian come down to just not properly understanding the word. Whether it's not sitting under the faithful exposition of the word, whether it's coming to the Bible and employing foreign or alien ideas or trying to make the Bible say what we really want it to say or just all this confirmation bias that we think through, these are always risks to our understanding of Scripture. So let's, let's revisit four guiding principles of Bible interpretation. I hope when I say these that you sit there and you think, well, of course. I hope that you're not sitting there and I say these and you're like, that just sounds completely out of the realm of anything I've ever recognized before. I hope that these are obvious and intuitive. The first one, which we've already visited, we're not going to study this one again tonight, but let me read it again. The first one is when God inspires Scripture, God intends the Scripture to have a specific meaning. When God inspires Scripture, He intends it to mean something. He intends it to mean something specific. Now, you remember that night that we studied this? Some of you were here, some of you may not, and it may have been long enough ago that those that were here are uh, a bit clouded in their memory of it. I, I'd said that there are, there are a bunch of Christians around that think that the function the Bible, the function the Bible has in their life is just to provide words and phrases and syllables that they can just 
combine together and throw together to concoct whatever doctrine they like, whatever truth they like, whatever suits them at that particular time. And, 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 and the truth is there are many authors and preachers and pastors that think the same way. Whereas I think that when Jesus shows us the way that he interacted with the Bible, is he believed these scriptures have a specific content that God has inspired. So following on from that, that's principle number one, that when God inspires the scripture, he intends a specific meaning. Number two, it is the meaning of the scripture that is exclusively authoritative. So in other words, when, when God inspires his word, he, he wants it to mean something, to, to convey real meaning. And it's that meaning that is the authoritative scripture. That, that, that's what God intends. That's where God speaks. That's where God applies his word to our life. The meaning of the text is exclusively the authoritative scripture. We're going to actually spend some time tonight pulling that apart and, and, and unearthing some application out of that. But let's move through to point number three and four. These should appear to flow logically. I hope they do. If they haven't, that's a, a fault of mine. So the first one was when God inspires Scripture, He intends a specific meaning. The second one, the meaning of the text is the exclusively authoritative Scripture. The third one, through the Holy Spirit, working with our own sense of reason, we can come to understand God's intended meaning. God, God inspired the Bible for us to read, to understand. There are Christians out there that believe the Bible's not to be understood. I was looking at some today, some, some so-called experts, some academics, some scholars, who, who I was reading this today, and, and they were saying things like, certainty, certainty is arrogance and unbiblical. That every time you go to the Bible, you have to imbibe a, a constant sense of uncertainty. I don't know what this means. I don't know what this says. I don't know what God intends. I hope for you that, that you are aware of how redundant and foolish that is. And ultimately, at the bar of God's justice, that won't fly. Well, God, we just never really thought we could be certain. Could you imagine in the days of Noah? Noah is building this ark and proclaiming to that generation, a flood is coming. You will all die, repent, and join me on the ark. And then finally the flood comes. The ark door is slammed shut. And the people of that ancient world, the wicked people saying, we just, did, we just didn't realize that you, God, wanted us to be certain of Noah's message. So point number three, through the Holy Spirit, working with our own sense of reason, that's so important. I'm not saying that the message or the meaning or the truth of Scripture is only received by allowing your mind to just go into neutral. You have to think. You have to critically think. There are whole Christian traditions today that, that exist that don't believe when we go to our Bible, we should be thinking. They think that we kind of just let our minds slip into kind of emptiness like we're Eastern mystics and God will communicate his words through some ethereal Gnostic principle. That, friend, is not biblical. The Spirit works with our sense of reason so that we can come to an understanding of God's intended meaning. The fourth one, the last one, is God can never contradict himself. Therefore, neither can his words in Scripture. God is harmonious and consistent in himself, and so is his revelation of himself. So if a contradiction in the scripture is discovered, our first assumption is not 
gee, God, you kind of messed up here a little bit. Or, or God, your word just seems to speak one thing over here and another thing over there. And they're obviously contradictory. And, and I just think the Bible has contradictions. No. No, if, if, we, if we discover contradictions in the Scripture, our natural response should be, I've misunderstood something somewhere. I've not been clear in my ability to understand. We, we return to point number three, which was, as we already read it, the Holy Spirit works with our sense of reason so that we can understand the message of Scripture. And if we find that, oh my goodness, there's these truths that are contradictory, then, then we struggle with that and, 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 and we just assume that we have to accept it by faith. I don't think that's the way we're told to come to the Bible. I think we're told to work harder. I think we're told to dig deeper and strive and say, God, you wrote this, you inspired this for it to be understood. And it to be understood reasonably. And so we want God to speak. So that's, that's an overview. Let's spend a few moments. We don't have much time left. Looking at principle number two. Let me restate it. It is the meaning of the text that is exclusively authoritative scripture. So when we come to the Bible, when we, come, we open up our Bible for our, our daily reading, or we come to church and someone gets up and opens the Bible and begins to expound upon it and, and apply it to our life, ultimately, what we must be seeking is the, is the specific meaning that God intended when He inspired the text. Only one interpretation carries God's divine authority. That's the true one. If Scripture is used in a manner that God did not intend, or if people communicate from Scripture a message that God did not inspire, it is not Scripture. It's not Scripture. I bumped into this plenty of times in my years as a Bible teacher. People that just have this assumption that when we say the, the Bible is the inspired Word of God, even down to the very words that God chose in His Holy Scripture, that there's this assumption that there's somehow this pregnant power, this, this kinetic energy that's invested in the syllables and the black marks on the page. That's not exactly what's going on at all. If the Bible's not understood and not properly applied, then it's not the Bible. I, I told this story some weeks back. Someone listening to the podcast, listening to the podcast of this message tonight is going to hear me say things that they literally heard me say an hour ago. But for you all, it was four months ago. So let me restate it. I told this story of this particular preacher many years ago, uh, back in Australia, this large kind of youth convention, thousands of, of teenagers were there. And I remember uh, this was back when I was a youth pastor. So I was there with my youth group. We'd sent plenty of buses in and, and this preacher got up and, and he literally taught a message that, that, that basically said that all you need to do for God to perform a miracle in your life, whatever miracle you need, maybe bodily healing, maybe financial breakthrough, whatever, whatever miracle you need, all you need to do is be walking around your day reciting Scripture. Because it kind of becomes this, again, this kind of Eastern mantra thing. Like, like, like you get the mantra and you sit cross-legged and you turn your thumbs up and you just recite, 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 recite until, until the power is so, is so well generated and formulated that suddenly the miracle comes. And I remember this guy literally said, he said, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how much Scripture you recite, as long as you're reciting words from the Bible. He said, even if it's just two words, just two words from the Bible, if you go throughout your day reciting these two words, and then he made all kinds of like uh, tremendous promises. 
Like your whole workplace will get saved or, or, or your unsaved kids will come to the Lord if you're walking around reciting just two words of the Bible. I remember sitting there thinking, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Firstly, two words from the Bible could be the and. They're words the Bible uses all the time, the and. And, and is, is, that, is that what I'm called? Am I just called to uh, uh, simply continually recite these monosyllabic words, the and, the and, the and, and next thing I know, I'm healed of every bodily ailment, or here comes this check in the mail, or, or whatever promise may be appended to that kind of stupidity. Yes, it is stupidity. It's superstition. That's all that is. So, so what we're saying is when we come to the Bible... God has inspired meaning to this text. It's not, it's not just words given to you that you can you throw together in whatever order you like and come up with whatever interpretation you like. It's what's God saying? What communication is God giving? We take a look at an, an example of this in Jesus. I'd, I'd argued earlier on that Jesus is the Lord of our biblical interpretation. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, it says, Jesus answered them, You are wrong, Jesus said. Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. You are wrong, he said, because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. Now, of course, the detractors that Jesus was speaking with in this instance were Bible scholars par par elexons. These These guys knew their Bible. They'd memorized much of the Old Testament. Jesus says you don't know the Scriptures. Now, despite the fact that this would have been tremendously offensive in any era, especially in our modern era, where everyone's just offended at the, at the smallest microaggression. For someone to say, you are wrong, is perhaps the most toxic thing you can say in this generation. But, but don't misunderstand, even in Jesus' generation, this would have been tremendously offensive. And then he says to these scholars, these professional Bible scholars, you don't even know the Scriptures. Could they have replied by saying, Jesus, we feel like we've memorized more of the Bible than perhaps even you. Jesus, we feel like we know more of the Bible than anyone. But of course, what Jesus is getting at is not, do you know by heart the words on the page? He means, have you comprehended their meaning? God has given us his word. God has given us his word. And he has not done so, so it can be manipulated by the unscrupulous to suit their whims, passions, desires, or belief. False interpretations are not the Scripture. So what that means is not everybody's interpretation is consistent with the Word of God. Not everyone's interpretation is consistent with what God intended when He inspired the authors to write it. There could be a thousand different interpretations of a particular verse in the Bible. And at times, this can feel overwhelming and disconcerting. But the good news is, as students of the Word, as disciples of Christ, the only obligation binding on us is to understand what God intended when He inspired that piece of Scripture. Here's how this looks. God revealed. God is a revealer. God speaks. God's Word is His revelation. The inscripturated Word is God-preserved and it is given to us for our receiving with humble thanks. This word that God has given has an intended meaning 
And only that meaning is the scripture. Now, of course, everyone claims to be biblical, right? Everybody. A thousand interpretations of any given verse of the Bible is compelling to those that buy in and believe. And, and maybe there are different variations of almost right and close to and nearly there, but ultimately, only God's inspired and intended meaning is Scripture. Paul encouraged the church at Ephesus that God had granted to the church, he says, the offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherds, and teachers to equip the church for the very purpose that it might no longer be infants in understanding. He goes on, he says, that they may, they may attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be childish, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's Ephesians 4, 11, 13 and 14. If anyone's interpretation of Scripture carries God's authority, if, if we know that, if we come to the Bible and we see that and we receive that, then we are grounded, we are firm, we are stable. But the truth is, if everyone's interpretation is equally valid, a thousand different interpretations are equally valid, the only the only thing that that would produce is ceaselessly tossing us to and fro. Who is right? Where is truth? How do we know? What do we obey? How do we apply? God wants us to come to the Scripture and unearth His intended meaning. We can be confident that God has inspired the Scripture. And reassuringly, God wants us to know what he means. Jude reminds us in his own epistle, Jude reminds us there are deceivers in every corner of the church. He tells us like, like evil shepherds, they feed themselves while neglecting the flock. Jude goes on. We can see this in Jude verse 12 and 13. He says, like a storm at sea, they trouble the waters of God's people, ultimately casting up nothing but the foam of of their shame. This is how Jude describes these people. And goes on, he says, these speculators, dreamers, conjuring up new interpretations. Speculators, dreamers. You, you, you might know particular uh, celebrity Christians that are like that. There's no certainty. There's no confidence. There's no, there's no foundation to our faith. Just dreaming. Just conjuring up new speculations. A new message. A new idea, a new novelty every few months or every year. These are the ones in verse 13 of Jude. We read for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. When we come back to Jesus, we see that he gave no mercy, no mercy to those who presumptuously confuse human interpretation with God's intended meaning. When confronted with their errors, Jesus did not tolerate unbelievers' interpretation as though every meaningful reading of Scripture could be authoritative. He says in Matthew 15, 3, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, no doubt these Pharisees, these Pharisees and scribes who Jesus rebuked, no doubt they were very sincere. 
They genuinely believed that their traditions that they devoted themselves to were indeed the very will of God and they thought that that was the right way to interpret the law. But their traditions were not only a failure to understand God's rightly interpreted message, but actually, as we read in Matthew 3, 6-7, they make the word of God void. Jesus said this, So for the sake of your tradition... You have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Here's one of the greatest dangers that, I will, that I'll suggest is implied in this text from Jesus in Matthew 3. Here's one of the greatest dangers. is when a false interpretation of Scripture becomes the norm, becomes the rule, or becomes embraced by God's people, the greatest problem with that is not just that they've taken the Bible, misunderstood it, misapplied it, and lived out ramifications that are not God's will. That's a pretty serious thing. But that they can never actually, while maintaining the false interpretation, come to the Scripture and unearth God's intended meaning. That's the great problem, is they, they make void the actual Word of God. A false interpretation, embraced as a true interpretation, renders void what God has spoken. It darkens and clouds thinking. It blinds the eyes. But God has inspired the Scripture. God has every right to expect the Scripture to be properly understood. So here's an important premise that I've been assuming this entire discussion here this evening. Here's an important premise. The premise is that God is not actually an unclear communicator. Let me state it again. Again, I know it sounds so intuitive and obvious and something that you think doesn't need to be explicitly said, but I believe it does. God is not an unclear communicator. Now, I'm not saying there aren't parts of the Bible that are hard to interpret. There certainly are. I'm not saying there aren't whole books of the Bible that, that take a lot of energy and effort and time to get to the bottom of what God is communicating. That's true. But let's come to the Bible with an open-minded premise that God has spoken truth, and God is an able communicator. Let's start there, and then when we encounter problems or apparent contradictions or, or clouded or obscure words or phrases, we can do diligence to understand them. Now, in one particular feisty encounter Jesus had, Jesus had become so frustrated with the Jews' inability to comprehend his message, he asked them this, John 8, 43. Jesus said, why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? Now, no one imagines that a valid response from these people would have been something like, but Jesus, we've just chosen to interpret your teaching in our own way. But Jesus, what are you so angry for? Can't you see that the way you think and understand Scripture is valid for you and the way, the way we think and understand Scripture is, is valid for us? Can't you, can't you understand that, Jesus? Why, why are you so narrow? Why are you so closed-minded? Jesus accuses them not of being unthinking fools, but for actually being malicious. They don't understand what he's saying, not because he's not communicating clearly, but because he says, you cannot bear to hear my word. It's the truth of my word that you reject, and so you must also reject my word. Truth has, truth has the essential attributes of being unchanging, eternal, and self-verifying. God's scripture is authority. 
and it's authoritatively true insofar as it's correctly understood. Now for Jesus, failure to embrace truth is an admission that such a one is not from God. John 8, 45, 47. Let me read you these few verses. Jesus says, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? He says. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not from God. So believers today, Christians in this, in this world, are bombarded, bombarded with a world of thousands of different ways to view the Scripture, interpret the Scripture, apply the Scripture. But we can narrow this all down. We don't have to be confused or like a wind-tossed wave, as the Scripture speaks of. We can narrow this down and simply ask the question. When I read this passage, when I read this story, when I read this verse or this line, what is God intending to communicate? What is God intending to say? The meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. Not the black marks on the page. Now, I know that sounds controversial. Like Craig saying when we open our Bible and there's words, that's not Scripture. Well, it's not until it's rightly understood. It's just words. It's just language. It's just a vehicle that's meant to communicate ideas. And those ideas have their genesis in the infinite mind of God. And when the words are rightly understood, then it becomes the Scripture. This is the foundational basis for all Bible translation itself. If we believed, if, if we truly believed that it was just the, the black marks of the page had some kind of talisman, magical force, then we would never dare take the Bible from its original language into languages that we can actually read. No, but we already know, we understand, we embrace this truth. The Bible is not God's Word until it is actually read and understood. Until God's meaning is unearthed. That meaning of Scripture... We bow our knee to, and we surrender and obey. This is the same, as I said, with our view of translations. God speaks in a way that can be understood. We have to get to the bottom of what He's intending to say. As I said earlier, some people dangerously assert that one can mindlessly incant lines from the Bible and somehow invoke a blessing from God. Others treat the Bible, I mean, the actual bound book, they treat it like some kind of magical talisman. I've met Christians that kept a Bible in their car for better fuel mileage, genuinely believe that. I've met Christians that kept the Bible under their pillow for more godlier dreams. I've met Christians that put a Bible on a part of their body that they needed healing. This is not Christian. Simply not. It's delusion. The bound book is a bound book. Only once it's open, understood, applied, does it become the Word of God. Now these are all foolish delusions, as I've said. They have no basis in the Bible themselves. They erode confidence in God's message. They erode confidence in our hearts of understanding God's message and they reduce the Bible to pages, words and syllables as superstitious relics that are sought to 
perform a cheap trick. We must see that kind of attitude as tremendously non-Christian and an abuse of God's gift. God wants the book opened. God wants the book read. God wants the content digested. God wants us to store up His Word in our hearts and live out its implications in our life. Now, I know, I know that what should, well, at least what should, if I've, if I've done something of a fair job here this evening in conveying my thoughts to you, the natural, the natural question that should arise is, well, then how do we come to the Bible and we get an assurance that our reading, understanding, interpreting is true? But we'll have to wait until next time in principle number three. Pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together here this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give you thanks for your word. Thank you, God, for this inspired volume, this holy scripture. Thank you, Lord God, that as we rightly understand your word, it dismisses, it, it disperses superstition, man made religion the wisdom and philosophy and the cunning of man. Like Paul, Father, we want to renounce all of this in underhanded ways. We want to be people who rightly divide the word of truth, who know how to handle the scripture appropriately. We don't want to be that wind-whipped wave on the sea that can do no more ultimately than foam up its own shame. And we don't, and Father, we don't want to be susceptible to a thousand different clever and witty and cunning interpretations. We just want to come to this book, Father, and believe that you are speaking by your Spirit through these very words, through, through this Scripture. We want you to help us to understand what we read. We're not just reading copious amounts of words for the sake of it. It's only food for our soul, Father, if we're understanding your message as it's written in the text. We don't want to be wrong, Father. We desperately want to. We want to resist temptation to embrace interpretations that flatter us. We, we want to resist the temptation to embrace interpretations that are overly simplistic, just, just for the sake of the simplicity of it, Father. Oftentimes as Christians in this modern age, our, our great sin is just laziness. We're just not willing to work hard enough. Father, I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that Jesus shows us the way in his own life and his example and even most clearly in his debates and interaction with his detractors, he, he shows us how to come to the scripture, how to know what the scripture is, how to rightly approach it with all humility and patience and to see your great message revealed to us in the text. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is true. It is true. It is truly a light unto our feet and a lamp to our path. We thank you, Lord, that the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge is fear of you. I pray that we would submit and surrender all, all of our Bible interpretation to the very Lordship of Christ, that we would learn from him, that we would embody his example, and that we would help, Lord God, that by your Spirit we would be helped in our ability to understand your word. Thank you for this time together with these people tonight. And I pray, God, you continue to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.